This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And thanks. We have a, a great topic today. We're going to be talking about healthcare sharing ministries, um, which is kind of a timely topic. This is something a lot of folks may not have heard about unless you've uh, enrolled in one yourself or have someone in your family who has. It's a little confusing how this is entirely legal in the United States, but it is kind of a form of healthcare coverage where like-minded folks from communities of faith share healthcare costs. It's not quite insurance, though. We'll we'll explain later. But after a series of lawsuits and scandals, these companies are sort of back in the news again very recently. So we're going to look at what they are, how they have kind of flourished as insurance costs have risen, and also the potential risks they pose to the unsuspecting consumer. But we also really want to you know, turn the page and talk more about how communities of faith are playing a positive key role in winning a just and equitable healthcare system. And that is why our guest is here. Jillian? We are super excited to have our guest here. We very rarely have Jesus on our side, but today we have <laughs> the Reverend Jim Rigby. Reverend Rigby has been the pastor at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas for over 25 years. And he has a love of world religions and a passion for social justice. And we are so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm gonna just try to keep my head in frame. <laughs> if you do, yeah, that's sucks. a success. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll, I'll consider that's that. That's the hardest part about being on the podcast, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We narrowed down your window just to fuck with you. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, you noticed incompetence before. <laughs> well, thank, yeah. thank you yeah. for this topic because I think <laughs> this movement is so insidious. And against like the charter school movement, it's basically ne neoliberal capitalists with Bibles that are not real fond of democracy and have joined this war against voting rights and honest history and all of these kinds of things. And really, I mean, it, it always comes back to like capitalism and systems of domination and mm -hmm. like kind of pecking orders and things like that. So. I think the identity politics is, is, is actually secondary to that sense of who has power and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate y'all having the conversation. We were originally going to call this episode Living on a Prayer with a nod to the great Bon Jovi, but we now might have to rename it to Neoliberalist with, God, with Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I think you realize that it's like our the idea of nationalism is in crises. You know, it's like you just you can't really have a decent world with these, you know, that we've moved beyond the nation state. We've moved beyond capitalism as an organizing principle. I mean, you can, you can take certain elements of it, but it just is simply always going to be more cost-effective to deny health care mm -hmm. than to provide it. Yeah. So to put, to put people's lives within a profit motive is, you know, is completely unworthy of any kind of human value, much less, you know, putting Jesus name on it. Yeah, yeah. 
So based on your feelings about capitalism, I'm guessing that you got into the ministry in order to make money, right? <laughs> it was a big mistake. <laughs> the Presbyterian denomination is not the one to get into. <laughs> Seriously, though, why, um, why did you end up becoming a minister and how does like social justice feel, really fit in? Well, it didn't at the beginning. I got in. I love world religions. I love, you know, studying mythologies and this kind of thing. And then have people help people put their lives together, you know, particularly through crises. So that was kind of the topic. And I just I didn't realize the political implications just of being a decent person. Mm -hmm. And I had all these heroes. When I got to college, I made a list of all these, you know, Gandhi and Tolstoy and Helen Keller. And I didn't realize they were all socialists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I chose them because they were so nice, but <laughs> ultimately niceness requires you to place human beings over property rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, just there's no way around that. So, you know, the, the radical nature, not just of Christianity, but just of, of being a human being, a decent human being, regardless of what, you know, world you choose. Because that's, I mean, if, if it's not a deepening of your humanity, then it's a neurosis. Yeah, and I think four years four years of President Trump have definitely highlighted the perfect intersection of of bad politics with bad humanity and and, <laughs> and just basic decency. So and just to bring lousy religion too. Yeah, or he made up a fake one. Yeah, after he made it into office. I mean, but to bring healthcare into this, I mean, I know you've been active in uh, you know you're you're based in Austin, Texas. Obviously, I'm sure you, uh, both you and Jillian have your work cut out for you protecting you know basic healthcare rights in Texas. Never mind Medicare for all, but just like scrambling, fighting for what we have, which is totally inadequate. I mean, how did your church and yourself kind of get involved with healthcare work, and why is that so important for your community in in Austin? I can't think of a more basic right. I mean, to me, the right to live begins after gestation is complete, but after that, I'm right there with the right to life movement. It's like mm. if if you were born, if you were a gestated human being, if you're outside the pregnant person then yeah, you have a right to a living wage. You have a right to health care, decent housing. I mean, to me, that's like, that's what right to life would mean if, if it weren't, you know, this kind of ploy. So yeah. to me, it's like it's to be in the richest nation in the world that's letting people die, and particularly in the name of this right to life movement. Yeah. I mean, it's astounding. I mean, it's staggering. It's disorienting. Yeah, no, it's really, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty shocking. It's like our friend Abdul El-Sayed, who's a, a physician, um, he just testified before the Senate a couple of weeks back for the Medicare for All bill. And what he said was, if we're serious about life, we have to be serious about healthcare and providing healthcare, right? And it has to be publicly funded. You cannot do this through the private sector. You just cannot. So Yes. So that leads us actually to our, our topic here, right, about these healthcare sharing ministries. And um, so, Ben, you want to give us the rundown? What are they? How do they work? All right. I'll try to do this without making your eyes bleed. So healthcare sharing ministries are, um, they are a form of healthcare coverage in which members who share a religious belief make monthly payments to kind of cover each other's costs, but they are not health insurance. What's the difference, you say? Well, insurance, if you have a health, health insurance plan, it's going to cover most of your healthcare services and prescriptions and medical devices that you need. 
And when you get a, a health, when you receive healthcare, you're responsible for, you know, maybe a copayment, and then your insurance company pays for everything else. But healthcare sharing ministries are different. Uh, they cover much less. They're much, much, much cheaper, which is why they're so alluring with healthcare costs becoming just crazy and unaffordable. Um, and a lot of people, you know, if you can't afford an insurance plan, feel like maybe this is the next best thing they can they can get. And they do not, they only pay a fixed amount towards a service. So instead of, you know, your insurance company is like, well, I'm going to, we'll pay for your surgery. And then you have a hundred dollar copayment. A healthcare sharing ministry would say, all right, we'll only pay a thousand dollars towards your surgery. And you're responsible for the rest, whether the rest is 5,000 more or 10,000 more or 20,000 more or 30,000 more. So the healthcare sharing ministry doesn't take on any risk. That's kind of the big difference. The insurance company, if the people they insure are much sicker than they what they charge them for premiums and the insurance company takes a loss, healthcare sharing ministries cannot basically can't take a loss because they have are really fixing how much they cover. And if they run out of money, they just stop covering altogether. And that's part of the, the deal. But there's a lot more to these healthcare sharing ministries. They are typically Christian. We have yet to find another denomination that has healthcare sharing plans like this. And members, you to join, you have to declare your religious faith. And usually you have to also promise that you will not smoke, that you will not drink excessively, that you won't engage in extramarital activity. This disqualifies at least two of the three of us on this panel. I won't say who. <laughs> um, and, you know, they obviously, they don't cover abortion. They often don't cover mental health services. Definitely not birth control. Okay. I hear a lot of Christians talk about a lot of these things, but the yes. smoking, right? Tobacco. That's, you know. That's, that's clearly in the Bible, Bible Jillian. Oh, totally. Yeah. it's okay if I smoke a cigarette every now and again, right, Jim? <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. I got no. all right. <laughs> Please do. We just outed the smoker. We smoked out the smoker on the on the program. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the Affordable Care Act, it used to be that you'd have to pay a fine if you didn't have health insurance. That was taken away under Trump. They stopped penalizing people for not having insurance. And Biden administration is stuck with that. So it's kind of irrelevant now. But it used to be when they were fining you for not having health insurance that these ministries did not count as health insurance, but they did create an ex exemption. So if you had a healthcare sharing ministry, you actually did not have to buy an insurance plan, and it was built into the Affordable Care Act. Now, these these have been around for a while, but they really grew in popularity during the 90s, and then they grew even more in popularity after the passage of Obamacare. And I think that's a combination of like hatred of Obamacare and of Obama, with probably you know rapidly rising healthcare costs. And you know, if you can't, the ability for people on their own to afford insurance is just crazy. I mean, a private health insurance plan these days is easily $15,000, $20,000 to cover your family and how many people can afford that out of pocket. So I think it's also important to realize that Clinton and Obama were also neoliberal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were the, the liberal end of that, but you still, again, if you're operating with that system where property is more important than people, mm -hmm. you're going to wind up with the evil. And a lot of mm -hmm. the compromise took place in just a more disguised form under Democratic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, There's yeah, no for sure. For that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I personally, I wasn't even a fan of the insurance mandate where we fine people for not buying health insurance. I mean, it's terrible to be uninsured, but I don't think we should be punishing people if they, they can't afford it. So that kind of went by the wayside. But, you know, there's probably uh, one and a half million people, Americans right now who have, who participate in these plans. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. 
And Jillian, I just wanted to ask you, you know, tell us a little bit more about these plans. Are they supported by the states? You know, do they perform exactly the same way as insurance companies? I know I talked a little bit about the differences there. I mean, you know, basically what it comes down to is that there are really no guarantees with healthcare sharing ministries, right? So the insurance industry is not well regulated, but it is regulated by the federal government and by state governments, right? But HCSMs, because they are very clearly not insurance, right? They managed to avoid a lot of that regulation. And so that's really like, I think the major headline here. And I think that's how they get away with doing a lot of really kind of messed up exploitative stuff to folks who are trying to, you know, kind of be part of this Christian community. So, you know, 30 states actually have safe harbor rules, right? That exempt HCSMs um, from the restrictions of insurance companies, right? And in these safe harbor harbor states as long as members receive a written disclaimer and a monthly statement of member requests and contributions, the ministry actually is not considered to be engaged in the business of insurance. It's Hmm. kind of wild. Yeah. And it's actually hard. I think if you're a person, a regular person, it's hard to tell the difference between an insurance company and a health sharing ministry because you're you're like, well, well, I'll pay an amount and I'll get my health care coverage paid for somehow. And these things are marketed very deceptively too. I mean, both insurance is marketed deceptively, but so is uh, healthcare sharing ministries. And I think a lot of people are just like, oh, well, this is cheaper. And especially if it's marketing that resonates with their personal values, then it's like a double, uh, and you're being kind of double manipulated, so. Jim, what's your, I mean, what's your reaction to all this? Obviously you're a person who has a vision of true healthcare justice, right? And you know, how does this kind of compare? What's your reaction? Well, to me, it's like, it's such a mixture of and combination of bad things that it's almost hard to talk about. It's like democracy kind of begins with the social contract, and that's not based on sectarian religion. That if, if a human being does not have a right to health care, then they don't have a right to life. I mean, period. So to me, it's like such core issues, even before democracy in the you know French and American versions of it, but just the idea of human rights at all, it just violates so many of the things that the European experience said, okay, you got to separate church and state. Mm-hmm. Can't, mm-hmm. Can't, you can't make human rights contingent on how much money people have because they're not rights. They're not inalienable rights if poor people don't have them to the same extent that rich people do. Yeah. So the, the contradiction between capitalism and democracy really has not been examined seriously in this country to the extent that you, you you cannot have, I mean, democracy has to be based on human rights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and healthcare and living wage and, and housing, those would all be part of, you know, what a life of dignity would mean. Mm-hmm. But if you put all that for sale. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's what capitalism is, is, is put it, you know, it's, it's measuring value by property rights. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So to me, it's not the question. You, you want both. I want I want some property. I want to have a car. I want my guitar. I want, you know, like that. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> yeah. But, but the property rights are decision of human rights, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really, I, I think, just so like insidious about these healthcare sharing ministries is that they draw in their marketing on um, some legit Christian theology, right? So they're basically like, okay, if we're going to be good Christians, 
we're called to help each other, to support each other, etc. Right. But then, you know, they end up kind of promoting these uh, systems, right, that are, as you say, privatized and based on based on wealth. And I, I think that they don't ever quite reconcile that contradiction. Right. right. Yeah. And, and I would agree. And I would think it's not really good Christianity, because when Jesus was asked what salvation came from, he talked about sharing the rich young ruler. He said, mm-hmm. sell and give it to the poor. So there was nothing about baptism, nothing about repentance, nothing about any of the things that the European church added to the, the teaching. So to me, it's like healthcare. I mean, this is just humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, was concerned with compassion. The Dalai Lama talks about this stuff all the time. It's not uh, loving atheists are saying the same thing. It's not, nobody's got a copyright on kindness. And, and things. <laughs> to, to me, this is just so basic that, you know, if you, if you're looking down on the earth from Mars, you'd say, okay, the earth that belongs to everybody equally, right? You wouldn't say, okay, that person was born, you know, for, you know, owning big Ben and that person owns nothing. You can't copyright kindness, but you can cash in on kindness, it turns out. Because yeah. um, I think there, <laughs> I think like Jillian was saying, there is this veneer of like, you can only almost imagine like being in a community where each other, where we're just helping each other out, you know, in times of need. But in fact, yeah. it's a it's a replacement for a true social, I mean, you know, you can't protect rights that way. It's, it's a very uncertain whether you'll, you'll be covered or not, which in this case, you're probably not going to be. Right. And when Jesus taught, he didn't say, love your Christian neighbor. Right. He said, love your neighbor. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> that part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. To me, like to have these gated communities is just not, you know, it's somebody's made it up and put Jesus label on it. Mm-hmm. He also generally, if, if I recall correctly, I was the valedictorian of my CCD class, by the way, when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> if I recall correctly, he did not actually ask people if they were Christians before he healed them. Am I wrong? No. It, it didn't <laughs> exist. The church wasn't there. None right. of the creeds were written. The Bible was not finished. It's like <laughs> all the things the church are saying are necessary. They weren't there when Jesus was on earth. And if you're not Christian, you shouldn't have to jump through that hoop anyway. Nice. Right? It's nice. like the whole conversation about how how far Christianity should be able to intrude into the social uh, sphere is you know, that that's not a legitimate conversation. You do not, you know, yeah. there, there's a wall of separation that's very important. Yeah. One of the things that really bothers me about these plans are, and I don't know why my camera keeps focusing in and out on me it's uh maybe i'm moving around too much but the there's kind of an implied judgment of people who you know are smoking or drinking or you know it's it's kind of this uh this false narrative which we 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 know because of research is is false that people's own personal behavior that that kind of leads to your health outcomes which actually our own behaviors that we're in control of it's like less than 15% of our health outcomes. Almost everything is our surrounding environments, you know, our social environment, our experience of, you know, where we find ourselves in the, the hierarchy of the world, our experience with racism, all those things impact our, our health and are totally outside of our control. But there's kind of this like, you know, we're going to get together the good Christians with the right values. We're taking care of their bodies. And so that way we don't have to subsidize all these other people who might be in an insurance plan, you know, who right. are drinking and smoking and having sex all the time. And mm-hmm. um, so I, there's an implied judgmentalness that uh, judgment there that I really gets me. 
You know, there isn't a lot of research on this stuff. And so a lot of the data about it is kind of anecdotal, you know, stories and stuff. But one interesting thing I read was that in the 90s, these were frequently marketed as a way to avoid funding birth control. So the idea was, you know, if you get involved with one of these uh, healthcare sharing ministries, then you won't be paying into a system that pays for birth control. So, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the irony is, I mean, this stuff doesn't come from the teachings of Jesus, it, you know, and most of it's just made up like smoking. Nobody knew that, what that was. You know, they, they didn't have cigarettes. Jesus have, like, doesn't have beef with me smoking cigarettes. I'm just <laughs> I mean, but Leviticus, what the irony is, you don't see Jewish rabbis marching on this stuff. They contextualize it. They don't take it literally like that. Like Christians. So what Christians are doing are usurping and cherry picking, and they have nothing about the tattoos in the Levitical shrimp, all that stuff. They just kind of skim over that and go over things that put them in control of other people without having to pay any price at all themselves. For a white heterosexual man to be against reproductive choice costs them nothing. For them to be against LGBT community that cost them nothing. They have no. Too bad that's that like have. all of Congress, right? Is white heterosexual <laughs> men. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was test. I was testifying before the Texas legislature, and they were mm -hmm. talking about this persecution of Christianity and this mm -hmm. need for you know religious liberty stuff. And I, I just looked around and I was like, "Is there anybody here who isn't Christian? These are the mm -hmm. halls of power. <laughs> right. These are the halls of power. Wow. How much mm -hmm. privilege would you need not to feel persecuted?" Yeah. And so, Jillian, I, I know you you did a little bit of digging about what the actual impact on people's lives are sometimes um, of folks who go in with good intentions, think that these sharing ministries are going to protect them, but it suddenly when they need them, like the bottom falls out. Um, can you share with us some of those stories and like what can happen? Yeah. So, I mean, like I was saying, not a lot of real data, right? Because people aren't really studying this so much. And a lot of even the reporting and the media that goes on around this is um, is done by, you know, Christian media outlets, which have been very critical of a lot of the, of the healthcare sharing ministries. But that being said, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, of coverage here. So, you know, I found a bunch of anecdotal stuff online, though. A lot of people are complaining about the, in particular, being denied coverage for things. So I found one uh, that, you know, tweet uh, from April of this year that I thought was uh, kind of representative. And it was from this woman named Tina Nelson. And she said, friend's mother died needing a liver transplant, had Christian health plan, was denied the transplant because her liver failed due to hep C, which was very unchristian thing to acquire. She was 60. So there are a lot of stories floating around like this online about people who have been denied coverage because they've strayed from a Christian way of living. So that's kind of the, the buzz around the internet. And then, you know, obviously, like with any kind of shitty system, right, when do we actually find out more about it? It's when things go catastrophically wrong, right? And so that's really, you know, what prompted healthcare savings ministries to start kind of like organizing a little bit this year is because last year charity which was formerly known as trinity health share charity being a really cute name and i kind of wish that we had taken that name for our side but regardless so basically 
Charity was under, has always been under a lot of criticism. And even the Alliance for Healthcare Sharing Ministries called Charity a, a sham front group for for-profit healthcare. Wow, companies. that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so there's been criticism. Of, there had been criticism of Charity within this particular very specific community, right? But basically in 2022, there is a current lawsuit pending in the state of California and alleges that Charity uh, denied the majority of their claims and spent as little as 16 cents per dollar on premiums. Wow. <laughs> Where did the rest go? <laughs> Pocketed? <laughs> Yo no say. <laughs> but... But so like, this is like, you know, affected a, a large number of people. Charity had about like 40,000 members when they were, you know, kind of at their highest point. And then basically in 2021 in April, they learned that they had this like a tremendous number of unfilled requests, right? It was basically twice what they had expected. And then they voted unanimously to pursue bankruptcy and they started the process in July. You know, basically when they found out just how bad the damage was and their court liquidation documents from 2021 show that the ministry held over $300 million in unpaid member claims. When they figured out that just how bad it was, they decided to just fold and uh, dissolve, the, dissolve the company. And of course, now those folks who were members, um, because this is an unregulated industry and they basically had no guarantees when they got into this, they are now just basically left out to dry. So, you know, they started a, a liquidation trust, which is when company liquidates, they put all the money in a pool and they start giving it out to people who have been harmed by the company. But that being said, the money, the New Hampshire Department of Insurance uh, basically said that the money that they were going to recover is likely to be a small fraction of the total. So people are getting screwed. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of right to life, I mean, of that 300 million unpaid claims, how many of those are probably life-saving procedures that people need? Yeah. It's just wild. Well, you, you could make billions of dollars just by cherry-picking healthy people yeah. mm -hmm. for a healthcare system. But mm -hmm. think when you put that in addition to being able to deny for the most specious reasons right. uh, yeah. in the world, it's like that's good money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of if if I were an evil capitalist, <laughs> this is the scam I would come up with because <laughs> it looks great. Good marketing. Yeah. yeah. And if I were an evil uh, evangelical capitalist, <laughs> I would choose it in a heartbeat. Well, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. yeah. And what you mentioned, Jim, we, I, we actually hadn't said it straight out, but although the Affordable Care Act made it illegal for insurance companies to deny people with pre-existing conditions, healthcare sharing ministries can still deny people with mm -hmm. pre-existing conditions, even if they have, even if they don't smoke, drink, or have sex outside of marriage, they can say, you're just too expensive for us. Sorry, we're not going to take you. So if we just did it like civilized countries do, where you just, you see it as a human right, you wouldn't have the, the insurance tier that's eating up all of this surplus, you know, the tiers of, of middle people that are coming between just, you know, just doing that would probably get you halfway there. <laughs> get you halfway there. Yeah. And the thing that drives me crazy is that having healthcare as a right is actually great for capitalism. If you happen to be a capitalist, not in the healthcare sector, if you're a, if you're a capitalist in any other sector, not having to pay these insane yeah. healthcare premiums for your employees and not having to worry about the impact on your employees, you know, work productivity if they get sick and don't have good health insurance, 
I mean, it really gives an advantage to industries not in the US. I mean, I, I'm a little bit out of the loop. I used to be in labor research and, and sort of in this world. And, you know, the steel industry was basically moving to Canada exclusively because they didn't have to pay for healthcare costs in Canada and they do have to pay for them here. And a bunch of auto plants were starting to move just across the border to Canada as well. So this will be the start of the new group, Capitalists for Medicare for All, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> non-healthcare capitalists for Medicare for All, an interdenominational group. But <laughs> So what's the vision, Jim? Pray for us. Um, what, what do you think, like going forward, you know, you obviously feel that Christianity has a big role to play in the fight for healthcare justice. And I wondered, like, what what's your vision for what that looks like going forward? Well, it certainly doesn't mean Christian, sectarian Christianity, you know, weighing in as a block. I mean, I, I just think mm. if, I mean, to me, Christian is my way of being humane. I mean, that was the path that I, as a child, was introduced to it. But I see it in Gandhi. I see it in Buddha. I see it in Robert Ingersoll as a, an atheist who is just as compassionate, just as kind. To me, this is what Jesus was talking about. It wasn't, it wasn't sectarian religion. It was compassion. And it was like a world where all human beings count. And, and everybody gets life. You know, it's the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But it, back then, it was, it, you know, it was the, the kingdom. It was the, the idea of of Jubilee, where people are released from what binds them, they're liberated for life. Yeah. Things are redistributed so that, that the world is shared fairly. So, But to me, it's like uh, socialism, I know, is a forbidden word, and, and politically, you can't do that. But to me, it's a, a, a chapter of humankind. It's like it's realizing that people are more important than property, realizing that business means nothing if you lose the planet on which you're standing. You know, it's yeah. basic sanity. So this kind of ecological socialism is, to me, it's just sanity. And you can tweak it. You can do correctives. You can do safeguards against bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff. But you have to value your human family, the web of life, and the earth on which you live and depend over your own business enterprises. And you feel like Christians have an obligation, right, to be part of that, right, based yeah. on based on faith. I think, yeah. and I think we all do. I mean, I, I think that's that's where I come from, and that's my thing. But I, I'm much much closer to a loving atheist than I am to a capitalist Christian. <laughs> there you go. You know, there you go. Much, love humankind. They love animals. They love plants. They love the planet. Stuff like that. I mean, that's what Buddha and Jesus were talking about. It's like it wasn't trying to get to some other sphere. It was realizing this is the sacred world. And we have to share it. You were mentioning the attitudes before we started. That's, you know, how do you lift up the Sermon on the Mount and not end up with socialism? Tolstoy <laughs> did, Gandhi did, Martin Luther King did, Desmond Tutu, not Desmond Tutu, but who is the other one there in South Africa? It's like, I mean, it's it's just humanity 101. That so. is a really refreshing view <laughs> of, of faith and Christianity. And it's it's based on what you're saying. It feels like we have a real common interest in pursuing human dignity. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think we just there's clearly a concerted effort to kind of capture communities of faith for these for right wing politics as well. So I, I think that's really just where we have to be on guard is we're we're going up against serious marketing forces that are trying to turn people against one another, essentially, um, by 
playing on their faith, playing on anything else that they possibly can, but with really selfish interests at heart. So, And I think, I think for people of faith in the United States, Christians within the United States who let other people speak in their name and attack other people and take away other people's votes and deprive them of health care, if you sit there silent, you are not innocent. It's like they're speaking in your name. So you have to speak for yourself and say, that's not what my faith calls me to. If you don't, then you're a guilty bystander as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I just want to say that um, we got a comment from Sofia Sepulveda, who is our amazing Healthcare Now board member. And she says, thank you, Minister Rigby, for speaking truth to power at Medicare for All. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you do. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I cannot leave without also thanking our podcast team, without whom we couldn't do any of this. Our podcast manager is Angelique Davis. Our researcher for this episode was Sophia Simeon. Our show notes writer was Jerry Katz. And our audio editor was Arena Budanova. So thanks, everyone. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, y'all. Stay safe. Stay dangerous. I ended with y'all because there's two Texans on the call. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) 